Good evening. Welcome back. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. It is valuable in living your life as a Christian to have a good, clear impression of who you are. Taking that with you into every day, it is valuable. Examples. I am a child of God, a soldier in the Lord's army, a member of the body of Christ, a disciple, a follower, and a servant. In each biblical description, there is truth about our identity, and that provides information and motivation. Listen, please, in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly? And serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We're going to spend our time with this passage tonight. And the objective is for us to remember and appreciate our role as servants. This teaching must be considered in its historical setting, in its time. We're always talking about context, and that's important. Here's the context. In an agricultural rural setting in ancient Palestine. On many properties, a landowner had servants. Obviously, the landowner was superior to his servants. He pays them their proper wage. The servants do their duty. It was a simple arrangement of master and servant. In the story that Jesus told here, a servant comes in from a day's work, plowing or keeping sheep. Jesus describes what would not generally happen. Now, you may conceive exceptions to the rule, but the exceptions are not brought up here. This is what did not generally happen in the master-servant relationship. The servant comes in and the master congratulates the servant and treats him as an equal? No. The servant comes in and he continues to be a servant. The master-servant relationship doesn't change or reverse itself due to the servant completing a day's work. Let me say that again. 
the master-servant relationship doesn't change or reverse itself due to the servant completing a day's work. The servant is not praised or elevated or prematurely rewarded. There's more work to do. He's a servant. He remains on duty. Even when the servant has done everything required for the day, he was doing what he was commanded to do, what was required. When the servant finishes the day's task, he is still a servant. Finishing the day's task doesn't make him equal with the master, nor does it entitle him to an awards banquet. He did his duty. He is still a servant. Now the point is made clearly by Jesus when he speaks to his disciples. He said, so you also. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The disciples of Christ, Jesus spoke to, would go out and preach and do the work. That wouldn't change their status as servants, nor would it entitle them to an awards banquet. It wouldn't make them equal with their master. They were doing only what their duty was. Now, what ought we to make of this today? I have three things for you to consider. Number one, fundamental to this imagery and this teaching that Jesus gave, very simply, you can start here, we are servants. Listen to these passages. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark 9.35, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Matthew 20, 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. And then you come to Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So followers of Christ are often identified as servants and a servant is an inferior to the master. Doing what the master says even if you do it all and you do it well and you do it better than others, doing what the master says does not elevate you to master status, nor entitle you to a trophy or an awards banquet. Even if we do everything that is our duty, even when we excel and we go the second mile, we are still servants. And a clear view of that every day is necessary for us to please the Lord and to continue to be efficient in our service to Him. We 
are servants. As servants, we have duty. I want us to just look at that word duty and think of your simplest definition and think of synonyms and think of words, concepts that are packed into that little word, duty. I think if you looked it up in the dictionary, it would say something like obligation, personally chosen. Obligation, personally chosen. An obligation is chosen and certain actions are required after you've made that choice. In the military, for example, there are duty rosters and duty assignments and duty evaluations and duty inspections. And when you sign up, you are told you will have certain duties and that you will serve. When you sign up and raise your right hand and repeat the oath, you're saying, I'm going to do that. I will serve. I will do my duty to the best of my ability. And that concept of duty applies in so many other areas of life. And of course, the scope of that would go to your entire life before God. So in marriage, there's duty. In parenthood, there's duty. Being a citizen, there's duty. Being an elder, a preacher. We agree when we make choices about relationships to sign on to the duty that's incumbent upon us that go with those relationships and the choice we've made. Words and ideas associated with duty are task, labor, performance, responsibility, specific responsibility. So, when I obeyed the gospel, when you obeyed the gospel, we signed on to the duties Christ has assigned to his people. And we've signed on to do those duties after baptism and until we die without any award banquets in between. We are servants. We are under duty to the master. By grace, we are able to serve the master. No performance, however good, promotes us out of servant status up to master status. There are blessings for us as we engage in these duties. And there are certainly eternal rewards. But those blessings and rewards are connected to our individual participation in the duty of being disciples of Christ now while we're here. Duty by God's grace we are able to do. Duty that has value because of Christ. In my view of our culture today, there isn't the high view of duty that has often characterized us as a people. That's my opinion. Our culture seems not to be as favorable toward duty compared to previous generations. Exceptions granted, yes. Today, it seems that self-interest seem to enjoy more attention than a personal sense of duty. There is in our culture today an obsession with rights 
entitlements. This is what I deserve. Less emphasis on what we ought to do, what our duty is. But no matter the flawed character of the culture around us, and whether you see it or not, Christians are people who've accepted duty assignments when we were baptized. We're going to worship. We're going to accept duty within the local church to the full extent of our ability. We're going to be willing to serve others. There is the duty to spread the gospel and to edify and encourage and train others to be good parents, to be faithful marriage partners, good neighbors, efficient workers, clear and pure thinkers and speakers. Those are duties. We accepted those when we were baptized. Even when that duty is embraced wholeheartedly, and maximum initiative is applied, we are still servants who have not earned the eventual reward God will give us. It will still be by grace when we stand before him. This story Jesus told assumes the assignment of duty his people have. We need to be clear. We are servants, and we are servants who have duty. One more thing, and this may be a big part of what this passage is saying to those disciples and to us. Boasting is excluded. Pride and boasting is so unbecoming in the kingdom. One way to avoid this is to put our obedience in good perspective. Obedience is rewarded, yet this contains a warning about not taking pride in our obedience as if we merit God's consideration and generosity, as if He would be thanking us and awarding us and applauding us. We've done our duty. When we obey the gospel and continue that obedience in consistent discipleship, here's what we're doing. We're responding to God's grace. We are receiving and keeping what Christ died for us to have. The value of the grace of God as expressed in the sacrifice of Christ is never reduced, even by our best service. May I say again, the value and the power of God's grace as expressed in the cross of Christ is never reduced, should never be minimized because of our great, efficient service. It is not that we are so great, we are so special because of our marvelous performance, and we should be praised and applauded and God should thank us. No. In Jesus' illustration, consider a servant who does his duty is working on land he doesn't own for a master who is not his equal. Let me repeat that. 
in Jesus' illustration, a servant who does his duty is working on land he doesn't own for a master who is not his equal. The servant simply does his job. And though he is rewarded, he doesn't expect an awards banquet or a trophy. Obedience, when rendered humbly to a gracious God, is valuable and necessary, but it always glorifies God, not us. It always glorifies God, not us. To claim my obedience as a source of pride and boasting and demanding that people look at me and give me applause is not in keeping with the biblical concept of obedience to God. The truth is, when we have done all we're able to do at the highest level of our ability and we do great things and we achieve good results, we are still unprofitable servants and the glory will always belong to God, not us. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. I want to bring up two more passages just to cite them as my close. Galatians 6, 14. Paul said, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he said, So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's where I'm going to leave that. Thank you for listening so well. Let's be standing as we sing.